0: King's Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about King's Church, visit kcnyc.org. Hey, why don't you stand up with me? We do a thing where we stand up at this part of the service, and we jointly read the scripture um, that we're going to focus on today, and it's continuing our journey of Abram, who will be Abraham very shortly. Uh, And why don't we all read it together, Genesis 17, starting here in verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. Lord, we thank you for your word, and it's living, and it's active, and it's powerful, and it shows us who you are. It reveals to us your plan and your purpose, and, and that we can find our place in it, God. We can find our journey our arc, our story in the midst of it. And God, I just ask you reveal your goodness to us, your love and your grace, Lord, and show us who you've called us to be. God, let this word be good seeds planted into the soil of our heart, that it would produce kingdom of heaven fruit in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated, turn to your neighbor and say, isn't Megan a great synth player? That's what I want you to say to your neighbor. Say, isn't she a great synth player? Thanks, Megan. (laughs) Appreciate that. (laughs) Cool. Welcome to King's Church. We are grateful for a good and gracious God that cares for us and is real. Um, It's an interesting idea. It's an interesting idea to think of God as someone who is real. I I mean, when you think of the um, infrastructure, really, of high church, you, you, it can seem like almost a blockade to God, like you gotta get through the maze, like you gotta be an American Ninja Warrior to, <laughs> to make it through all of the pieces to even get to him. Now, obviously it's not always that, and it's m- many times an avenue to him, but sometimes the entrapments of it all can tend to distract us from the simplicity of the gospel, which is just that Jesus came to make a way for us to know God. That's the story, to forgive us, to redeem us, to heal us, to free us, to bring us back into relationship with God. That's that's it. That's the brass tacks of it. First um, Samuel 2.8 says, he raiseth, this is the King James version, it's fun, fun one. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar. It's hard if you have a a lisp and when you're reading the King James, it makes it challenging. (laughs) He lifteth the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory for the pillars of the earth are the Lord and he hath set the world upon them. I just think what an amazing picture of the gospel, that he takes the poor from the dust, and he takes the beggar from the dunghill, and he, in his, in his way, in his pattern, like this is not, this is not a moral tale. This is not just like some kind of moral thing where you just learn how to be nicer to your friends. This is not that. This is an arc from destruction devastation so bad that there is no hope of redemption and God saying, and I seat you with princes. This is a totally different thing. And uh, I think it's, you know, I think it's phenomenal. I think it's the real story, the real adventure of God and when people can get a hold of the real kernel of God's story and grab a hold of it We'll see here, like, it doesn't happen overnight. It's not a lottery ticket. It's a journey with God. It's an adventure with God where you follow Him and He takes you where you would have never been able to go. Uh, I think there's like, I think the interesting paradox is, um, or contrast is probably the better word, is oftentimes, like, he'll He'll take the beggar and lift them, and He'll take the prince and He'll lower them, right? It's just like, or you're, you think you're the prince? I think where you should be is with the lepers. I think you should give everything away, all of the stuff you have. Like you come to God with it all figured out, and he just says, that's not how it works. Wrong, wrong story. My story for you is not that you get higher. My story for you, guy, is that you get lower. Rich young ruler giving everything he has away. That's how you're gonna come into the kingdom. But we, also, we often don't get both parts of the story, Right? It's like everybody has to give all their stuff away. Wrong, wrong, incorrect, shallow analysis. To the poor, to the broken, to the contrite, he exalts. To the exalted, he humbles. That's the story. It's a fuller story. Right, Mike? Mike, love Mike. He's my buddy. Um, All right, cool. Recap, last week, here we go. Last week we were on Hagar, we spent four weeks on Hagar. I've never been to a church where they spent four weeks on Hagar before, (laughs) and it was really fun. And so we're doing this exegetical walk through the scripture one by one and saying, God, what is your pattern? What are the old patterns like? And what were you trying to say to your people? And what are you still saying that we just sometimes rush through and don't get and don't actually get the whole picture of who you are and, and who we are in the story? And that's the whole idea, and we've premised this very long series, 19 week so far, series that, if you look up the name Abraham in, or if you look up the term archetype in the dictionary, it will say Abram, or it will say Abraham, a picture, an architectural picture of people's journey of faith, what your journey of faith looks like. This is the pattern of knowing God, following him, communicating with him, etc., etc. And it's really exciting. Ben, can you just turn this down a touch? I feel like if I yell, I'm gonna scare our congregation. Um, And I may yell, I do that sometimes. Okay, so let's just go right into this verse. I'm already kind of, yikes, 10 minutes in here. So let's get right into this. Verse one, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God, God Almighty. So he's 99 years old. And I was thinking, um, This is really interesting for a number of of levels. So he's 99 years old and God comes to speak to him. So we left off the last part of the story. The last part of the story was 13 years ago that said, he was 86 years old, and he does this thing with his wife where they conceive and connive and create a really bad plan where they decide it's a good idea to get a second wife and try to have this child apart my own way, my own plan. God, I know you have a way and a plan, but you take a break. I'm going to figure it out my own way. And now he's 13 years in to living with the fruits of his own plan, and it's not going very well yet Uh, and you have to kind of read into it and here's a couple of interesting points is um number 13 there's a lot of stuff here number 13 is like this number biblically that represents rebellion or bad things or kind of like the 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 fullness of your own bad stuff and we see uh 13 plagues, we see uh, the 13 is Judas, plus, you know, like there's no 13th floor in, in a lot of New York buildings, like it'll just go 12 to 14. All of that kind of stuff stems from this biblical understanding of this number 13 is not a number we're a fan of, so we, call, we think it's a bad luck number just because in the scripture, there are different pictures where at 13, it's not a fun number. So here's the weird thing, and in the in the Hebrew system, the bar and the bat mitzvah, when you are turned into an adult, is the age of 13, because you are a fully moral culpable agent. You are now fully aware, uh, responsible for your moral actions. You are able to fully commit sin. Now, there's some early church fathers that really believed before that you couldn't really sin, or there's, a, there's some interesting theorizing in church history about that, but the point is that there's this kind of ishmael is 13 years old so this thing that's been living with them that was not a part of the initial promise of god is at its almost fullness it's interesting so this is funny too because there's like a completion like it's almost like it's at its adulthood and then the other interesting thing is this is the fourth time that god has talked to abram in 25 years so he's called at age 75 and now he's 99. There's been a 25 year journey with God. This is the fourth time God shows up in the story and God is going to reestablish the plan. He's gonna tell him, no, again, I have a son for you, a child to be birthed from you that will come again from your flesh. And he's 99 years old, so it's like, it really like, seems ridiculous, right? It seems ridiculous, but the phenomenal thing is that Galatians chapter five has these 10 contrasting points about the slave system, the system of law, the old world system, the system that, that puts us in bondage and then God's free promise system. And the, and the thing is God has to have Abram be past the point of physically having children so it's all God's power. He gets all the glory, so you can't say, well, it was just like, you know, like she had a couple of off months, maybe he wasn't drinking enough orange juice. It's, I, I, originally, I was like, you know, you, you, you hear the story, and you're like, he's gonna have a son, and he's waiting and waiting and waiting, and then, and then you, I realized, like, God intentionally makes the wait this long, and it waits till they are literally past the point Of conception, where they physically cannot conceive the promise of God for God to be glorified. So it can be all Him, all His doing, and He gets all of the credit, and it redirects our focus, our attention, admiration, affirmation back to His throne. So the fourth time God shows up, and speaks to him, he says for the first time in the history of the scripture here in Genesis chapter 17, he gives himself a name. God has not named himself yet. There are descriptors in just Genesis of his name, but he has not said I am. And this is the first time in scripture where he says, I am El Shaddai, or God Almighty. So this is just, I just can't get over how brilliant this is. Because Abram is at the spot where literally he is impotent and he is not able in his own power, in his own doing, in his own strength to conceive the thing that God has promised and God introduces himself into the situation as God with all the power you need. The introduction of his character and nature is, hey, Abram, what's up? I am God omnipotent. That's what he's saying. I am God with all the power and all of the strength and all of the presence. I know before, 13 years ago, you did a stupid thing and made a mistake and you were trying to conceive of my plan in your own way. But guess what? I'm back, baby, and I got all the power. To fulfill my plan and promise to you, I love this. It's like this is where we got. This is where we get the idea because earlier, the, the earlier Genesis accounts of the name of God. There's two other accounts of his name. He doesn't name himself, but it's Yahweh um, and Elohim are the two and. It's, the reference is God above all gods and God as creator, but here he's specifically t- telling Abraham who he is in his context exactly what he needs is a God that's got all the stuff. Man, I just think that so many Christians live a lifestyle where they, uh, they say, like, oh, I believe in God. Like, I, I think he's, he's real. He's like out in outer space somewhere. He's a good guy. It's a Jesus thing. I was like, that was helpful. But this is God coming into the brokenness of Abram's situation and his mess and saying, I'm back. And well, not that he was gone, but you know what I'm saying. I'm, it's a colloquialism. I'm back and I have all of the strength and power you need for this situation. Omnipotent God. Here I am. Greg and I were talking about this uh, shallow agnostic statement. It's like, if God is so strong, can he pick up a rock that's so big he can't lift it up? Like, can he do that? He's all-powerful. That is, um, it's, that's called a paradoxical fallacy. You, it's, it, there's some philosophers that say the statement is actually meaningless. C.S. Lewis said, if you say something totally ridiculous and attach God's name to it, it's still just re- ridiculous. Like, it doesn't make it. Oh, I got you on that one, Christian. Um, so God is saying, I am... I am omnipotent. I am all powerful. I am everything that you possibly can need. That's my name. That's what you can call me. Oh man, that's so awesome. Like what if, you, what if we just started, so we've talked about this a ton, like that the name of a, of a person is an identifier of their characteristics and traits. Like why would God call himself that to Abram unless he knew Abram needed to hear that? that Abram was believing that God didn't have the stuff to make his promise happen. And of course, that's ostensibly exactly what happened. That's why they create their own plan. That's why they, they create this whole scheme because they're not living and believing like God actually is all powerful, like he can do the stuff that he promises you and me that he's going to do. Woo, It's good. I'm gonna just skip, skip a bunch of this. I have, there's a lot of material here uh, I gotta go through, but so I just think the, the power thing is really interesting. Um, the display of God's power is a, is a really interesting concept. The necessity of God's power to be displayed in areas where you can't do it yourself is a really interesting way that God moves. It's just, it's, it's wild. Uh, you know, when, when Bethany and I m- first moved to New York City uh, five, five years ago, we had a really clear and definitive go to New York City and start a church, start your law practice and start a church. And it was like, I knew we needed to spend a few years building my law practice because you don't, like you get out of law school and you just start like, hey, give me a million dollars for your case. And they're like, how long you been in practice? I'm like, five minutes or so. Like, nah, no. <laughs> You can go work at McDonald's, go. They'll go do Big Mac law for a while. And so w- the first year, w- the first full year we were here, we did our taxes, we did our taxes uh, a couple weeks ago, and uh, I was talking to Bethany, I was talking to the tax guy, and I'm like, well, how much should we make the first year? The first year I was in New York City, we made $26,000 that year. Do you have any idea how incredibly painful that is when you have a wife and two kids to make $26,000 in a year, especially like as a guy who's wanting to be a provider and like take care of my wife and little tiny children that I helped conceive my responsibility and feeling like an absolute abject failure, right? I remember saying to myself, you are I don't know how it was like, 33, 34, 33? You are 33 years old, you have a law degree, you can't even pay the bills, you are an absolute failure at everything you've ever done. Like that, like running through my head. And if, hey, guess when you live in New York City and you make $26,000, that's what it feels like. <laughs> like that's really what it feels like. And, you're, and we're literally on the ark, the plan of God, doing exactly what it's told us to do and it's really, really hard. And it's really, really challenging. And you're in a place where like, you're like, God, if you don't come through, I have zero. Like, I don't know if I have the emotional strength. To, I don't, like we were, I remember I was in this, I was like, I met with this business owner who makes a half a million dollars a day. And uh, <laughs> trying to land a client, you know? <laughs> and uh, I'm, like, I'm like, he was a Christian, so he ended up like, weaseling in and trying to f- kind of find out my story. And I'm like, well, I'm about to send my wife and kids back to the West Coast and I'm gonna like live in a closet until I make it because I know God called us here. So that's like, like, I really would like you to use my services. <laughs> 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 Not a great sales pitch, friends. <laughs> so um, man, so I, you know, for us, like we know God spoke to us and it's brutally hard, and I, I, like, I don't want to go into it, but it's hard. Like, I'm crying on the regular. I'm feeling horrible, Uh, all the stuff, and I just had a God, a couple of God experiences in a row, and I'm like, oh, yeah, God is real, I forgot about that. I mean, just fast and pray. I'm just going to fast and pray, and he's going to come through, and he's going to take me out of this mess, and so I fasted and prayed for seven days, and, you know, I'm begging God to come through on, on work, on finances, on clients. And I'm like, God, you just gotta do your thing. You just have to come through for us. And so, seventh day, I finished my fast. On the eighth day, I got a call from a client that had a case with $50 million in controversy that was going before the appellate court, it's the higher higher court in New York State. And he's like, hey, I, heard I have a guy that's my lawyer here where I live, it's a different state. And he said you're really smart, and you think you can handle this. He's like, I spent 1.2 million in, in litigation costs with somebody else, and I hate that, and, but I'd like to pay you next to nothing to take my case. And I was like, I'll do it. I will take it for, uh, it was much less than 1.2 million, but it was, um, it was a significant case with, for me, a significant amount of money uh, the, literally the day after I've finished fasting and prayer. I litigated the case, I think, for for 18 months, um, approximately, and on the final argument, I was in front of a panel of judges. Uh, it was me against a partner from a relatively large firm in New York City and another Harvard lawyer, and I won the case. Uh, it was my first real case. I had done, like, another couple of junk cases, but it was my first actual real case, but I knew it, it was from God, I knew he gave it to me, and so I knew I just couldn't lose. It was just, for me, it was like a no-brainer. I, I, I mean, I worked all night long for months, but so you put the work into, but it was just a situation where like, you, are, you, are, you do not have the power to get out of it yourself, and you do what the thing says to do. And you seek God, and he shows up, he's like, oh yeah, by the way, my name's El Shaddai. My name is all power, God, my name is all of the power you need for any situation in your life if you'll seek me and find me and like we just think like so often like the cheap five cent prayer is gonna gonna do the trick like oh God I yelled at you in my car on the way to work and you didn't answer (coughs) you know like I've talked to so many people that are like my mom was dying of cancer and I like said God if you heal her I'll believe you if not I hate you and you're like well it's not exactly how it works like sometimes you gotta dig in. Like sometimes you have to believe that he is El Shaddai, all you need, all the power, all the stuff, and seek him. And then he's like, ha ha ha. He's like, this is what I was waiting for. You were scrapping for like a $500 client. Just all you needed to do is come to me and I'll help you work this thing out. And I'm not negating like advertising and business wisdom and I was, a, I was just a moron with business stuff but he still is god he's still el shaddai right abram was still an idiot for marrying getting a second wife and creating chaos he's the father of the faith and he was a total idiot and god's coming here now 13 years later and says my covenant is still the same for you my promises are still with you and fully for you if you will So, so he says here, this is great, he says this, he says, I am God Almighty, contingency, walk before me faithfully and be blameless, then I will make my covenant with you and I will in greatly increase you or greatly multiply you or greatly bless you. So it's like, I'm God, I have the power, I have all of the stuff you need. If you will follow my way, then I, then I will be able to greatly bless you, greatly multiply you, greatly pour out my life and my, whatever it is, whatever your need is, he's, 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 he's got all the power. That's, I just see it as a formula in my head, like he's got everything you need, that's step one, you have to believe that. And then you have to do what he says, it's contingent upon your actions. It's not a lottery ticket, that's stupid Christianity, it's cheap television Christianity that it's a lottery ticket, that if you write me a check, you're gonna get a billion dollars. Wrong, that's not how it goes. It says, walk before me and be blameless. That walking before God, that is a picture of moving, of walking, of being with him. In consistency, in faithfulness, in discipline. There are two, before this point in the scriptures, there's really two throwbacks here. We're talking about Genesis chapter three, that God would come and walk with Adam in the garden. And it says when he's hiding in the bushes, Genesis 3, 8, it says, and Adam heard God walking in the in the garden and he's hiding out cuz god's like i'm coming to walk with my my guy and my lady friend <laughs> and they're 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 hiding in a bush but but the idea is that God is saying, like I had originally intended and planned for Adam to do in the garden, my original intent for relationship with my sons and daughters is to be with them and walk with them. If you will do that with me and be blameless, then I will. The other guy that it reminds me of is is Enoch in in, um, Genesis chapter five, this very cryptic scripture, and Enoch is this wild guy. He's, uh, he's got a book. There's a book of Enoch. It's referenced in the book of Jude. The book of Enoch is apocryphal, which means it's not a part of our standard canon of scripture. It's outside of that canon, and because it's wacky. It's really wacky. I don't recommend reading it until you got the main book down first. Um, it's it wild. Uh, Genesis chapter five, it says this. After Enoch, the father of Methuselah, after he became the father, excuse me Enoch walked with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God. then he was no more because God took him away. What does that mean? What is, what is that What does that mean? So everyone else in this lineage they die and then their sons go on and then they die and their sons go on. This says that he doesn't die, but God literally takes him away, translates him, brings him somewhere, heaven, the idea. John Calvin said, it's that he must be shamelessly contentious who will not acknowledge that something extraordinary is here pointed out and are taken out of the world, excuse me, all are taken out of the world by death, but Moses plainly declares that Enoch was taken out by an unusual mode and received by the Lord in a miraculous manner. John Calvin goes on to say, um, it shows two other things. It shows that life everlasting is a promise to those of us in relationship with God. It's the first picture, Adam lost it, but it's still available through the Father. And the third thing it shows is literally God's divine love, that he literally wants you to be in relationship with him, walking with him faithfully. It's crazy because the scripture in Genesis 5 says the same things twice, and you miss it if you don't know that Enoch's name essentially means faithful one or committed one or dedicated one. And so Enoch, the committed, the dedicated one, walks faithfully with God. So it's a two-word force that's to communicate to us that if we would be consistent and dedicated and faithful in our walking with, or the scripture, I think the ESV says, walking before God, he loves it. God is in love with it because that's what he originally was looking for for us. Solomon, um, my son Solomon, Solomon, So Leon is always walking behind me. And it's like, Leon, I'm like, please, please, please catch up. (laughs) And then Solomon, because this is how God does things, is always in front of me. And he's like, I'm almost walking into him because he's a little boy and he's slow. And I said to him yesterday, I'm like, you're transgressing the primary walking with dad rule. Like, you got to either get in front of me or get to the side because I don't want to walk into you because we've done that before. doesn't end well for either of us. Um when you walk with a little kid and they're in front of you, you have to slow down. Just think the concept is insane. Like God says walk before me. He doesn't say walk behind me. Like he wants to slow down for you, to walk with you, to be with you. It's a part of his original intent. It's in Genesis. It's all throughout the thing. He'll slow down to come and walk with you. It's like this other thing is interesting too. Is like, it's like it's either like in the charismatic world and in the and in the, the, the cessationist world is like the cessationists that are just like God doesn't speak. It's everything is the Bible. It's like uh, like this is my map and if I step out of line I'm it's all bad or like the way well, the wild charismatics are like hey, uh, God told me I should drink still water and not sparkling today like Like, that's not following God. That's not walking before God. Like, he's made you autonomous, he's given you sovereignty. He's not like, you're my dog and you have to follow me on the leaf. He's saying, walk before me. I'll condescend to walk with you. You take the lead. Amazing picture of the gospel is that, like, when we engage in the promise of God, and God says to Abram, go out and go into the adventure. Find the thing. And he doesn't say, I'm gonna actually do the thing every day, but just follow m- my way, I- walk with me, and we'll have it all figured out. The other thing that's interesting to me is, he says, walk with me and be, be perfect, be blameless. And he says it, why? <laughs> Abram, I think, listen, he just wasn't perfect right, he just was really, really unperfect, we talked about this when we did the Hagar thing, like, the idea of multiple wives always ended up bad, every time, <laughs> it still does, Jehovah's Witnesses got to be told that lesson, eh, Mormons, whoever they are, and God's saying to him, walk with me, and be, you weren't being this before, but I'm asking you to be this now, walk with me and be blameless, and I will greatly multiply you, and I will greatly bless you. And I love that he says it to Abraham, and I don't believe that he says it if he can't actually do it. We're not talking, it's like a different, like, we're not talking about mathematical perfection here. We're not talking about, you know, book of 1 John, 2 John says, that 1 John says that, We all have sin, like we all have stuff. That's not the point. The point is that you would daily, faithfully, consistently, in a disciplined way, walk with me and strive to be blameless. Don't take my plan or my promise and put it in your own hands and do your own thing with it and think you can work it out without me. Walk with me and be blameless. So he says be blameless because... He wasn't, Abram wasn't blameless, he, he was, had plenty of blame. Um, but there's something else Is like, you, it's easy to say, well that's impossible David, uh, I'm, a, I'm a sinner, I'm gonna be addicted to stuff for the rest of my life, like, don't go to my church if you think that. Because I, I think that Jesus came to actually heal and restore and free people. I don't believe the other nonsense, like I just don't believe it. Uh, you know when you walk with your dad like when you're a kid? Like if you were with your friends, were if it was just like your friends, like maybe your language would be more colorful. <laughs> I, I have a lot of colorful language users in my family. We know how to have it's a lot of color. But like when my dad was there, like there's no color, there's <laughs> no language <laughs> color. It's a lot easier to walk rightly when your father is with you. It's just way easier if you're walking with God, if He's with you. It just makes being blameless a lot easier. If his presence is with you, if your intention and focus is on him, uh, there's, a, there's this homiletic commentary that says, as if you were in his presence before him at all times. I just would respond differently. Like you just behave in a different way. And it's not like I'm like, oh, oh, oh. I wasn't doing that when I was walking with my dad. I was just not saying the F word all the time. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) I was walking the way I should have been walking, the way that it's better for me and more beneficial for me in the long run anyway because I had my dad with me, right? And so he's saying, if you will walk with me, if you will be perfect, and this is the clencher, this is the whole thing, then I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply you. It's a part of his plan and his promise. He's God almighty, he's got all the power, all the stuff we need, the complete package. He wants to be with us, to condescend, to slow down, to actually have relationship with us, and for us to walk rightly before him. And then if we hold on to the promise, right? The illusion, the, 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 the analogy, the picture of Enoch, the guy that walks. This is the crazy thing about Enoch, Chris is that he's alive, he's alive for 365 years. His name is Faithful. I just think what a cool thing. Like it's exactly what's how many, how many days in a year is 365? It's like this picture of complete faithfulness, complete discipline and following God's ways. And if you can get it, then he can say, you get all the best stuff there possibly is. You get it all in my pattern and plan for you. It's all there is, folks. Let's just stand up with me I like uh, the last scripture that I didn't really get into is is cool because. It's Abram's response to this God promise. It's like God, like He just presses the reset button on Abram's life, because He'd been, you know, He's living with this chaos that He created, uh, and then the not God promise. We've talked about this Ishmael thing. Is he becomes the father of the Arab people, and it's a total chaos, thorn nation for Israel, for the history of Israel, and even in the midst of this, like. God shows up and basically says I still love you I still have a plan for you my purpose is still real for you and what, what does Abram do it just says and he falls to his face love it like I don't have it's like you got me God and he just responds in humility and receives the goodness of God of El Shaddai of God that has all the power and everything you need. Why don't you just bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you for uh, your heart, God, that we can see in the scripture, God, that God, that it's your heart, it's the desire of your heart to to walk with your sons and your daughters. That Jesus, you made a way through your sacrifice by your blood for us to be again in relationship with the Father to be forgiven to be healed to be restored to be made whole so God I just ask for every heart in this room God that they would be pulled toward your love God that there there would be a gravitational pull of your heart and your goodness and your plan In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We really believe that God wants you to know him in a personal and tangible way. If there's any way we can assist your journey, please reach out to kcnyc.org.